I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode of the Rise Together podcast. I am sitting in real time in a storied hallowed space. That's John Acuff's office. That's right. My friend, John Acuff, who you know, if you listen to this feed often, uh, as a duo member, the superhero of the John and Dave show. Uh, Here today, we're going to talk a little bit about his patio of peace or office of peace. I wish there was an alliteration. There isn't an alliteration. We're in his office. We're talking about peace, how to manufacture it, and the way that this space that I am sitting inside of today keeps him calm. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us? think like us or live like us. I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. We are continuing our Patio of Peace series, which makes perfect sense because we're sitting in Johnny Cup's office. Yeah, this is my patio. This is your patio? Yeah. I got to sell a few more books to get a patio. I can't just pretend I have some patio. You have sold plenty (laughs) of books. I mean, we're surrounded by them. Yeah, a lot of them right here. It's kind of incredible. I demanded that. I said, sit me in front of my foreign language editions. Um, And that was in my writer. The power that comes in the foreign language editions of your books being around you at all times. When you sold 17 copies of a German book, people tend to take notice. Yeah, They like go, the, Achtung, baby. Oh, That's German for warning. Very nice. You're yeah. like the Hasselhoff of uh, Yeah, I'm, of huge, I'm huge over people there. I'm huge over there. I can't like even go to Germany. I can't even walk on the streets in Germany. They don't let you. Like, I'm in Munich. Forget it. Cameras. What? I mean, before we actually turn this into a real conversation, can we yeah. have a conversation about what sits above the books? Uh, some of the Legos. Not even all of them. Like, there's a wall right here. These are the bigger ones. Can I just... I mean, I'm going to assume... These are yours. Oh, yeah. 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 100%. And we have a rule, my wife and I, um, she, her thing is like, only cars. And I say, only vehicles. And then she says, no, you're trying to trick me into Star Wars vehicles. Ooh. So, no. She saw right through that. was like, no, they have to be planetary-based cars. Does so, she dislike Star Wars like I dislike Star Wars? Yeah. I think she's like, that's, that's a slippery Jenny. slope to full nerd. I think right now she's like, you know what? I like that you have a hobby where you can turn your mind off and follow instructions. And I find putting a Lego set together like somebody else would do knitting, where it turns your brain off. Big set, thousands of pieces, follow instructions. But she's like, I don't want to see some like troop transporter all of a sudden show up in a corner because she'll know and she'll recognize. I mean, did you bury the lead? 
Did you start the sentence with "Jenny doesn't want me to go full bore nerd"? Yeah. Before you described yeah. your passion for building adult yeah. Legos. Yeah. That's I, awesome. I, no, the thing no, is, I can't they, even make fun of it because my, we're talking I've about heard, peace. I've heard Michael Jordan does tons of Lego sets. Like a lot, of Elon Musk. Like, no, I don't know. <laughs> all these names so successful. Just, they probably have a huge Lego collection. I don't know what to tell you, Dave. No. Before SpaceX came about, he was yeah. building yeah. rocket ships out of Lego pieces. Exactly. Fact. Exactly. Yeah, Einstein, Check Lego that. aficionado. Huge. Mother Teresa, huge in the Legos. Huge. Before India, she no. was all about Legos. Calcutta. And then somebody's no. like, "Have you heard of India?" And she was like, "Huh." Oh. And then, next thing you know, good. The thing is, I can't even make fun of it in part because we're having this conversation about peace and the idea that this cathartic thing yes. in putting small pieces of Lego together yeah. would create that for you ends yeah. up making it awesome. Yeah, exactly. All right, so we are not on a patio. We are no. instead inside of an office. Mm -hmm. What is, I mean, this I, it's so crazy because I have been having these lives with you every single week and I see this office and I feel like uh, I'm having an out-of-body experience sitting yeah. inside of it. And you met Jenny, she's real. It's so strange yeah. to hear a human speak of his partner and then question privately if she actually exists yeah. and then meet her yeah. in person to know that she not only exists but also seemed kind. I mean, for all you know, I'm just getting catfished for like the last 20 years. She I, doesn't exist. I'm shocked. Yeah. I'm shocked. As I climbed up the stairs to come to this office, the pictures of your family on the wall. Yeah. It, yeah. I, this, if this is a, a, a big game, you have it's gone elaborate. all it's in, It's elaborate. Yeah. You have gone all yeah. in. Um, but like this, this office is, I'm going to argue, without even having heard you say this, like something of a sacred space for you because totally. of it being a, a spot where you are creating. Mm -hmm. But what is, like, what it, tell me about this space that we find ourselves sitting in. Yeah, so I mean, for me, I love books. Like, I, you know, the goal would be to have a library with a ladder that rolls that I could sing from. I'm not there yet, but I love books. I love ideas. There's notebooks behind me full of the next book idea or full of the last book idea. So for me, being surrounded by what I'm creating is encouraging, is inspiring. Um, and so that's what's fun about this space. I couldn't do, I, I find that loud spaces give me peace. So New York, when I go to New York, it's so busy, so loud, I don't have time to overthink. I can be still and go, okay, while there's so much to think about, I can't think about it all, so I get to kind of be still. And I feel like it's the same in this space. In my having tried to create some intentional space for stillness, it was really more about pushing that noise away than sure. it was embracing it. I was, it was certainly at the time when I was first sitting intentionally on an every single day basis mm -hmm. on this patio, really needing to stop some of the voices in my head, stop sure. some of the feelings from feeling overwhelming so that I could in neutral parse what was real and what wasn't, what I needed to pay attention mm -hmm. to and not. You are a human who has in soundtracks talked about the kind of things that we end up believing, the stories that we end sure. up telling. But in my, in my case, right, like I wanted to try and not have to hear the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious if my pursuit of peace maybe in any way didn't give me something that I could have benefited from by allowing the soundtrack to play and having me ask questions of it. Well, I mean, the, the thing I always tell people, like if you want to identify what I'd call a broken soundtrack, uh, and soundtrack is just a term for a repetitive thought, I always say write down a goal or desire you have and then listen to your first reaction because every reaction is an education. So it's entirely possible that if you sit with that and go, 
okay, I'm on this patio, I'm trying to create this moment of peace, and here's this thought that won't let me go. What is it trying to teach me? Or what am I learning about myself? Because every reaction is an education. So if you say, I want to write a book, I want to start a family, I want to start a podcast, and your first soundtracks aren't, you should totally do that. This is the right time to do that. Yeah. You're the right age to do that. You should sit and go, wait a second. If, if I feel this way, if I'm telling myself this, what do I do with that? How do I, how do I move beyond that? Yeah. I don't know that I was in a place where I was courageous enough at the beginning to sit alone in my thoughts. Sure. Right? It felt sure. like I was overwhelmed by the overwhelming, and then the idea that I might also have to play yeah. that game felt yeah. tough. It's interesting because there's a contrast in what happens inside of this space, right? If mm -hmm. this ends up being a vehicle for peace, but it's also peaceful because of the way that you are able to creatively use it as an outlet or mm -hmm. read or whatever it might be, it feels a little bit different. Is, and I'm asking in real time because it's coming to me. I was thinking that peace is something that you had to slow down, push thought yeah. back to ultimately mm -hmm. tap into but you, in some ways, are kind of presenting an alternative. Well, so, I mean, but keep in mind, I'm facing this way. When I write, I'm facing this way. So it's not, I would probably not feel as much at peace if I had this mm. as my view. I have the backyard, I have the woods as my view, and then this wall, which you can't see, is blank. And all that I put up there are big pieces of paper that I write ideas on. So it's, it's controlled chaos in the sense of this wall's blank. That window just opens up to the backyard. Um, so for me, it's if I do 90 minutes of writing or thinking or whatever, I know, okay, I can take a break and there's something colorful, something inspiring that I kind of, it's the other side of the coin. Yeah. So for me, that's what it is. So like, I, you know, or I can take a walk around the neighborhood. So yeah, I guess, I guess I would say peace. Um, like if you said, okay, what's a good soundtrack for peace? Peace is personal. Peace is personal. Yeah. So, yeah. like, for my version of that, it's a coin. And one side is really blank and one side is really empty and there's times when that helps. And then you flip it over and the other side is really colorful and it's really interactive and it's really distracting in a good way. And so that's, you know, where, you know, peace isn't one size fits all. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of times where we hear advice that's perfect for somebody else. Like you read, you know, Mark Wahlberg gets up at 2 a.m. and does burpees and then takes a nine second shower and then he does more. Like, and you go, I could never do that. No, you couldn't because your name's not Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. That was perfect for him. That's his version of peace, but not yours. And that's part of why I think people have a hard time attaching to peace or experiencing peace is that they try somebody else's version of peace, their technique. Yeah. And then when the technique doesn't work, they blame themselves, not the technique. Absolutely. I so agree with this. It's, mm -hmm. I had a, coaching this last Monday and we had a conversation about why people mm -hmm. struggle and usually it's because of the comparative version sure. of oh I can't get it right relative to what they're trying or I read this book or tried yeah. this this breathing or this meditation yeah. or this whatever and only four minutes in I couldn't actually attach to it well, maybe the meditation isn't for you yeah what is it about writing specifically for you that creates centeredness or, or stillness relative to the other distractions that could otherwise get in your way on your day? Well, it's just ideas are my favorite thing. Like the, like I, you know, my favorite definition of creativity is um, Dorothy Parker, um, a writer from the 60s said, creativity is a wild mind and a disciplined eye. So the wildness is you fill your head with all these different topics, something your kids said, the, your, your Bronco, something you saw online, a song lyric from Counting Crows, whatever. You have this wild mind, and then you have the discipline of your eye to see the connection between mm. them in a way that somebody else hasn't before. So that's, for me, what writing does is it's the distillation of going, I've got all these ideas, 
So can I pack them down into a sentence? Can I put them down into a paragraph? Can I put them down? Can I put a handle on it? My job, I consider to be a handle maker. I put handles on ideas so you can take them with you. We have more than enough ideas in the world. We don't have handles on them. So if I can figure out the hook, the handle that makes it sticky and it actually encourages you, then I feel like, wow, I got to have a lot of fun creating it. You possibly got to have a lot of fun allowing it to help your life, encourage you or whatever. Handle, I love that. I'd never thought of it that way and it's such a great way to think of a good metaphor. I did see this week, this is a thing you don't want to talk about, I'm also fine with that, yeah. but sometimes you create ideas and handles yeah. and then other people <laughs> yeah. take yeah. the handle yeah. and represent the yeah. ideas sure. as their own. Sure. And, I'm, I, and it was, there was something beautiful in the way that you represented online, how Jenny can kind of walk you back from oh, yeah. any kind of ledge that comes to yeah. like wasting time or allowing your piece to be infiltrated by oh, yeah. this. But how do you deal with you work hard, create something, someone else yeah. potentially takes credit for, uses your work, and it still potentially serves the audience, yeah. yay for you, but doesn't necessarily have attribution to the creator? Yeah, so, I mean, I think the thing is, people sometimes will say, like somebody asked me, like, how do you handle rejection? I said, personally and poorly. And that's the truth. That's the initial, like, note my response isn't like, what a good lesson. I got rejected. I'm going to, that's a yeah. vitamin. What a vitamin. Thank you for that rejection. <laughs> no, like, I like, it hurt my feelings. Like, it makes me sad. It makes me feel like, what if that's the last idea I ever had and they took the best one, whatever. Um, but then I start to process it. Then I start to sit with it. And so what happened this week was um, there was a phrase I, I wrote about maybe a year ago, and it was, be brave enough to be bad at something new. And then I wrote in the same piece, be brave enough to suck at something new. And so then this artist created this really beautiful picture of that, and she gave me credit in her caption, but then people started to take her art and spread it. And you're just, and, you, and then, so this this week, that poor artist who's got a big platform goes, hey, I'm so sorry. This famous person just re did my thing and they didn't give you credit. I've DM'd them and I feel bad for the art. Like, I feel yeah. bad for the famous person. Yeah. Like, so, and she was like, Do you want me to take down the initial post? And I was like, No, because it's still encouraging to people. Yeah. And so I try to let go of that and I try to remember I got the joy of creating it. The real joy for me is in this space. Like, and I try to hold on to that. I got the joy of creating it. Um, the best ideas for me felt feel received, not forced. So like I got to receive that gift, awesome. I've already experienced the benefit from it. Um, I'll talk to Jenny. I told you before we started filming, I got a really negative review once of a book and they said it felt like um, a, a, a pamphlet that had been stretched into a book, which is like such a spotty <laughs> oh. book. And I was just crushed and so like, but I processed it and now we joke and she'll be out of nowhere, like if we're driving in the car to the grocery store, she'll be like, hey, you're my favorite pamphlet writer. So I think part of humor allows me to process it and own it yeah. and go, that was an idea, not my identity. I think the challenge of art or challenge of creativity is that you have to create with a full heart and edit with a cold heart. So you have to Ooh. be married to the idea and then divorce it when it's done. And Which when, is hard. Oh, it's impossible. Yeah. It's very hard, but it's a practice. And so there's a lot of times where if somebody criticizes or takes an idea, they didn't take my identity. They took the idea, and I'm already on to the next idea. Yeah. And so that's the, yeah. But yeah, I mean, my first response isn't like, oh, well, that'll help you. My first response is like, oh, that could have been amazing right? if I get credit. It's only weird when they turn it into a product they sell. Yes. That's where I'm like, like somebody will send me a photo of some terrible looking art piece in like a home goods store, and you're like, it's on Dripwood, and like it's sold next to Live, Love, and Laugh, and you're like, that's hideous. Come on. And sometimes they'll give me credit, and I'm like, 
I'd rather you not because it looks like. In this like, instance, yeah. Yeah, people are like, John, I supported your business. Like, uh, and I, it's Ain't got spilled out in she shells. <laughs> so. So with the quote, yeah. it, it, I think there's something interesting. My book, it's all about courage and being yeah. built for stepping closer to who you were meant to be by facing your fear. The idea of being bad at something long enough yeah. to become good, <laughs> having the courage. What was the context that you used the quote? Or is there, is well, there something YouTube. that you've it used? Was trying out, it was trying YouTube and podcasting. I have a podcast called All It Takes a Goal. And I was so afraid of podcast. I'm like the last person on the podcast. Like, I'm the kind of guy that's like, have you heard about Adele? Like, you're going to love, she's crazy. She's, she's British. She's got these songs. These pipes, dude. Pipes. Pipes, yeah. So, like, I'm not an early adopter, but I was afraid to look foolish or not know how to do it. Or, like, I already have a platform, so I feel like there's an expectation of it'll be good. Like, and I'm putting that on myself. So, I just resisted doing a podcast forever. And then last year when COVID took my public speaking job and it was like, pause, I, I had to say, okay, what am I going to do instead? And podcasting is one of it. And so I just told myself over and over again, be brave enough to be bad at something new. Like be brave enough to be bad at something new. And I should be. Like I told parents that, I told every parent they should write down on a post-it note, this is my first global pandemic. Because yeah. I kept meeting parents, I'd go, I'm terrible at virtual schooling. Yeah, you should suck at that. You should suck at hand gliding because you've never done that. Yeah. And so that's that was part of kind of my mantra from last year, or I, soundtrack. I'm borrowing it in real time. I, like, I've been in this season of stepping into spaces that I've previously not necessarily stepped into. Dude, you know into? what you don't know how to do? Co-parent. Like, you don't, 100%. Dude. Like, you shouldn't be amazing I at it. I am not amazing and so, at it, and like, that is partially 10 because... 10 years from now, right? at a wedding of yeah. your oldest son, like, there's going to be memories and different things, but, like, you shouldn't be great at it. And, I, yeah. And so what happens is when you're not great at it, that shame comes in the back door and goes, other people are way better at this. And yeah. you got it instantly, and you're like, no. So, like, you're not supposed to be great at it. You're going to work, you're going to grow, you're going to try, but, like, you're not going to be great at it right out of the gate. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Did I tell you the thing I'm doing next? The crazy, ridiculous thing that I'm doing in November? Is it Burning Man? Uh, well, Burning Man was something I did say yes to, yeah. and then it was postponed because of COVID. Yeah. But I mean, I no, I don't think so. I'm not a huge it's fan. It's not skydiving, of, is it? No, I'm not a huge fan of camping or dirt. But I was going to do my first experience in the desert. Yeah. I am going to be on stage in a physique competition. Really? Yeah, like, oh, do you mean bodybuilding, Dave? Like, you're going to be like oiled up, yeah. and you're going to be flexing where on the stage. It? It's in Arizona. That's where most of them are held. Right? I don't. I'm, the thing is, I have such little familiarity with anything that happens Holy inside cow. of the space. Should you be doing push-ups right now? I probably should be. I mean, I worked out before I had my morning meeting, and then sweated through the meeting because of the way that the workout was still with me. The but shower didn't take. Didn't take. Didn't matter. And there's wait. So in. what's the? Is it a natural? So like it it's is one a, where there's it's a, a natural and physique is like um, it's there. There are levels, but it's like that's intimidating. To frame. Right, so like I am going to be of a certain height and a certain yeah. age category, mm -hmm. and then I will be up there. I and mean, it's only like eighty-four days from now. Not that I'm counting, but yeah. like 
I have a lot of work to do. Do you get to wear cool board shorts? There are board shorts. The great <laughs> no, thing is that you know that no, there are you board shorts. You know what you no, have to wear. No, here's it's the thing. board shorts. No, I'm telling you, and this is where I didn't know what I didn't know. I thought I had agreed to doing a Speedo competition. Yeah, I thought they all were. Nah, that's the like Olympian level. Then there's like you a really mid-level that's shorts? like more like a, uh, like a boxer brief. And then uh, board shorts is the physique competition. So I'm, wait, I'm as you it. get better, the shorts get smaller? I'm just saying. I mean, like as your body, get, as your mass gets bigger, your shorts get oh, smaller. I love this. I, well, I'm not sure that, that is courageous. I love it. But the interesting thing is... I think it's great. By trying to do it, yeah. I know two things. I'm going to suck and I'm going to learn a ton. Uh, but like, I think it's, it's going to reframe how I think about trying whatever ends up being next. Totally. And you're going to document it so people get to of share it. Of course. Oh, that's going to be Of amazing. course. That makes me It's going to be fodder for a lot of funny conversations right now, between the two of us. I agree. Yeah. I'm very frightened of Do you have to come thing. up with a nickname? Like well, where they announce you, it's like Dave... Thunder Guns Hollis or like something like that? Well, the funny thing is the LLC that I had to create for my business mm -hmm. is Call Sign Maverick. And so there's a part of me that wants to go down that road, but we'll see. Dave Call Sign Maverick Hollis? Or just Maverick. Maverick? Mav. I, there'll probably already be a Maverick there. That is oh, that's like. true. That's you don't want to be one <laughs> of seven Maverick, Mavericks. Maverick 2? No, oh, no. I can't. I can't. No. I can't do it. Maverick 2. Would Maverick 7 please come to the stage? <laughs> oh, I love this. Oh, man. Now we're going to get beat up by other people in board shorts. we got to yeah, stop joking. I know. All right. I don't want some Maverick muscle guy to beat me up next time they see me in Nashville. First car? What was your first car? Ferrari. Uh, my dad not, was a pastor. Not a my dad was one of those pastors that steals money. It was <laughs> awkward for our family, but you know what? When God rains down diamonds on you. No, I had a uh, Mazda 323. Zoom Zoom? Stick. No, it was before Zoom Zoom. Oh. I'm more like, uh, Okay, uh. well, just to tie the stories together, yeah. Ford Maverick, uh, 1972. You had a Ford Maverick? Oh, yeah. That's where the name came from. Big engine for a 16-year-old human, I'll tell you that yeah. much. Big engine. Uh, how and when do you think of what you will work on next relative to when you are working on something? So, Soundtracks came out. Yep. Were you already working on the next thing that you're going to write? No, I'm always collecting ideas. Yeah. So, I'm always gathering ideas to use eventually to go, okay, is that something interesting? Is that something I can turn into something else? Um, in the same way that, like, when you wrote your book, you didn't start writing your book in that moment. You said, okay, I've been gathering ideas. I've been interacting with people. I've heard people need different things and question me you know, about these ideas. And so, no, I think it's always a running collection. And then when you write a book, you put a frame around the ideas. And you go, okay, these are packaged in this. And then you think about the next one and the next one. When you think about what you'll write next, mm -hmm. how much of what you've previously put in the world comes into play with what you're going to do next? As in, do you think I've got to have something that is a full departure from, discreetly different from, or are you thinking about two-handers? No, I think um, for me, maybe I've told you this before, there's three things that every best-selling idea has in common, whether it's a book or a business. Um, it has need. People really need it. And you're hearing people express that. It has a personal connection. You're going to talk about it for years. You're going to talk about this book for years. And the third thing it has is there's a spot for you in the marketplace. So... For me, like with my book Finish, 
um, people came up to me and said, I liked your book Start, but I've never had a problem starting. How do I actually finish something? And I was like, wow, that's interesting. Personal connection, I don't finish things. I wasn't a great finisher. I was a chronic starter. And then the third was I went to Amazon and checked the marketplace. And the only thing that came up when you type finish is um, dishwasher detergent. Oh. We as a culture celebrate the beginning and ignore the finish. We say ridiculous things like well begun is half done, as if that was true. No, it's not. <laughs> if a surgeon said to you, once I've made the first incision, I'm like halfway done with your surgery, you'd be like, where did you go to school? Yeah. So once I have that Venn diagram, then I know, okay, I'm willing to invest years into it. In the same way that like with your book, you would say, okay, I went through a personal experience that's very, like I have a tattoo about this experience. It's very much connected to me. While the audience that I'm serving, they are connecting with this idea. I see other people that need to be courageous. Um, and then you go to the marketplace and go, wow, I find a spot for my voice in this. This hasn't been explored the way I want to explore it. Yeah. So then you've got the Venn diagram and then, then you spend the time. So you've been doing the work that you do for quite a bit of time. Mm -hmm. I've written a book about challenging the places where you've become comfortable. Yeah. Is there any spot in your having done similar things for a mm -hmm. length of time that you'd be willing to say, man, this may be something of a safe harbor. Yeah. And if and when, not if, but when I have the courage or the leverage or the whatever, I'm going to leave that harbor for and be courageous to challenge the fear that maybe sits on the other side of something that I know for something I might need. Yeah, I think um, my using chaos as an excuse is a safe harbor. And what I mean by that is going, well, I'm too busy to sit down and write or I'm too busy. Like, and I like I'm the only one that does my schedule. Like if there's chaos, it's because I put it in there. Mm -hmm. So that's been the last few years, something I've been working on. My wife said to me. Um, about four years ago, you're a jerk for the two years when you write a book, and you're a jerk for the two years when you sell it, and that's not going to work for us. Like, I'd rather you be a happy plumber than a miserable writer. Yeah. And what she was saying was that for me to generate the energy to do a big project, I had to use stress and chaos and anxiety to get motivated. And that's that's a fine short-term fuel. It's a bad long-term fuel. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, going, okay, no, I'm going... Like she said to me the other day, I think... Three years from now, you wish you had a time machine you could build to come back to the to the years you're missing right now. Because I have three years left with my kids in the house. So I don't have to guess about that. I know. So sitting down and saying, okay, a safe harbor for me is to go, I'm too chaotic, I'm too chaotic. And going, okay, I'm going to block off 7 to 12 on my calendar. And that's going to come with cost. And But I'm going to focus. And I'm going to move meetings to the afternoon. I'm going to have the self-discipline to do that. Versus going, I'd love to do that, but I, I got a crazy schedule. So owning my schedule and admitting the chaos is me and then going to do the work of finding a different fuel, that makes me feel uncomfortable. But that would be like, it's weird to say a safe harbor is chaos, but I think a lot of people blame other people, blame their schedule, yeah. blame their busyness to avoid the work they know they're supposed to do. And I, I would say I'm one of them. Yeah, no, I, I write in the book this idea of, becoming comfortable with and having a relationship with the suffering that we know. Mm -hmm. This is a mild form of suffering, oh, yeah. but because in some ways that can become part of our identity, it's hard to shed. Part oh, yeah. of it is, right, if you found yourself absent the chaos, now there's some exposure for yeah. what you might produce or how creative mm -hmm. you can be or whatever it might be. Oh, yeah. And I know for me, I mean, I had the benefit of writing this book in the most chaotic window of my entire life. There was mm -hmm. catharsis in that. There was like so much I could draw from emotionally. And in some of that, when I think about what I will work on next, it creates fear. Yeah. It creates well, it's fear. It's going to be a different system. It's yeah. going to be a di different process. And 
So yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I think that people that read your book and then go, okay, wow, I, ha I think people read it and go, I have more harbors than I knew. Yeah. And I think that'll become a, a handle, like we said, um, for people to go, wait a second. I didn't think of it as a harbor, but it is. Yeah. The, the soundtracks idea, coming back to the most recent thing you've put in the universe, is mm -hmm. universal, right? Like there is no one who does not have soundtracks running yeah. in their head. Mm -hmm. There's no one, frankly, that has, doesn't have broken soundtracks sure. running in their head, right? Sure. What, what is your best advice for someone who's wondering how to handle the broken soundtrack? Or even like identify it maybe in the yeah. first place. So, I mean, I think the, the book has really simple handles. Like the problem with thinking and mindset is we get really holistic and confusing right away. It feels like you're gonna light a candle, there's a drum circle, like, and you go, what do I actually do on a Tuesday? So the book has a bunch of really specific advice and actions to do it, but one really easy one is the next time you hear a broken soundtrack, ask it three questions. Number one, is it true? Is the thing I'm telling myself true? Number two, is it helpful? Does it move me forward or pull me back? And number three, is it kind? If I said it to a friend, would they still wanna be my friend? And if you can't answer yes to those three questions, it's probably a broken soundtrack and you've got a good thing that you can work on to say, okay, I'm not, I don't have to listen to this. Most people don't understand that they get to choose their thoughts. They think a thought shows up on its own, but when you recognize like, no, I have the power and the permission, okay, then I'm going to choose some new thoughts, some thoughts, you know, that I like, some thoughts yeah. that are encouraging and I'm not going to wait for a good thought to show up. Like I always say that fear comes free, hope takes work. Ooh, like you don't good. have to force yourself to be afraid. Fear will find you. Like everyone's been in the grocery store and remembered something stupid they said a year ago or three years ago. Um, but you don't have those same moments with hope. You have to do the hope work. And so that's, that's something I'd say to somebody that said, hey, I'm curious about this idea. What do I do with it? Yeah. I love those questions so much. And happen to have as a person who helps me prepare for my coaching, someone mm -hmm. who loves you. I'm getting her checked to make sure everything's okay. She's okay. not here because okay. I, I thought honestly... Like, Ladies and gentlemen, Adele. No, I was I, hoping it was Adele. No, she's so, so big a fan that truly okay. it could create some personal safety issues yeah. for you. <laughs> okay. But uh, I asked those same questions yeah. of my coaching community totally. and told them that it was my idea. So, yeah. no, I, I well, gave you full I mean, that's, <laughs> I gave you As full long as you're an artist. Like, <laughs> I've released it into the wild. That's funny. So in an environment where we in real time are sitting with mm -hmm. a lot of big, huge things happening inside yeah. the world, Afghanistan is mm -hmm. happening and Haiti's got crisis and there's COVID everywhere yeah. and a Delta variant and everything else. How, how do we handle, how do you handle, forget we, unless you yeah. have a great we answer, but how do we hold space for empathy and staying connected to what's going on and educating ourselves yeah. without becoming overwhelmed, again, against this backdrop of this concept of needing to create peace or maintain some sense of stillness so that we can stay connected to why we're here and what we're trying to drive toward. I, I'm, I'm struggling myself to kind of hold space for both. Well, I mean, I think that there's a, there's a real temptation to um, move beyond informed to obsessed. Mm. Like the model, the machine runs on trying to get you obsessed. Like, but there is a level of you want to be informed. And so for me, it's figuring out for you on a personal level, where is that? I deleted Twitter from my phone last April, April 2020, because I didn't need that much anger in my pocket. Like it was just too much anger for my pocket. Yeah. And I love Twitter and I still use it on my computer, but it's different on my computer. There's a level of like, I'm sitting down, I'm being deliberate, I'm sharing ideas with people versus I'm scrolling through going, I'm so mad, I'm so mad, I'm so mad. And so I think you have to figure out where, you know, where's informed for me 
and where is obsessed. Um, and I think once you do that, you'll start to go, you know what? Like, I don't bring my phone to bed. Like, my phone lives in this office at night. Like, it, this is where, it, like, we're not roommates. Yeah. Um, it's a terrible roommate. It's How kind freeing of, that must be. Yeah, and so How appreciative Jenny must be. Oh, yeah. Well, Good it's little miss. things like that. And so, like, or I won't bring it to dinner with friends, right? Like, if it's in the room, I'm going to be on it. I remember I was in Costa Rica and we were, you know, staying at this hotel, and it was on this kind of cliff, and they had an infinity pool, and it was gorgeous, and we were there with my family, and I looked up, and the sun was setting, they had, like, macaws that it felt like they released at some, like, that would fly by, and everyone was on their phone, and I thought, if this is going to lose to the phone, we're all doomed. Yeah. Because you have to think about it, every, like, every form of entertainment, idea, ever, is contained in your pocket, and so if a Costa Rican gorgeous sunset is going to lose, everything else is going to lose. Yeah. And so I just have to put it somewhere else and go, for me to have peace. Like, that, I mean, patio is a peace. You can create peace anywhere if you separate yourself from the thing that is causing stress. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you hide. It doesn't mean you're an ostrich. It, it doesn't mean you're not informed. It doesn't mean you don't have empathy. Like, you do that. You just find the way that it works for you. Yeah. So we are, as we are getting close to wrapping up here, sitting here in the office, the window looks out over this beautiful, what do you call this? Is that a forest? Yeah, I would say forest. There's a lot of 100 trees. acre woods, maybe? It's like a, a woods. Christopher Robbins kind yeah. of thing? Yeah, who could live in yeah, there? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's really gorgeous. Um, but also framing the frame are some of the soundtracks that you mm -hmm. are trying to remind yourself. Sure. Why? Well, I mean... Sometimes when somebody says, okay, I've got this broken soundtrack that I've listened to for a long time. Maybe it's about their weight. Maybe it's about their job, whatever. They then come up with a new one. And it's like you send this fresh baby soundtrack up against this one that's been doing push-ups in the prison yard for 10 years. And you go, it's so weird. Like, people tell me that all the time. They'll say, John, this exercise isn't working. I'll go, well, how long have you done it? And they'll go, 10 days. And I'll go, how long did it take you to gain the weight? And they'll say, 10 years. You gave the problem a decade and the solution a week. So like one of the soundtracks I tell people is never give the problem a year and the solution a week. So for me, having reminders helps me see it. So like I have one that I'm looking at right now from August 27th last year that all it says is ask for more. So you don't have to, in the same way your book, like it's easy to read a book and go, I need to be that creative to use the tools. No, you don't. Like ask for more isn't sexy. It's not creative. It's not hooky. No one's got like no one in this room, none of the 92 people you brought to film this are going to get that as a tattoo. Like and be like, I got to ask for more in my arm, like in a font that Jesus would love. But like, that helps me go, and I found myself in business meetings undervaluing what I felt like the work I was creating was worth. And so uh -huh. I needed a reminder, no, 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 when you're in this situation, ask for more. And when I do that and I say, okay, you know what, I think it's worth this, oh, wait, ask for more, and I add 25%, they're never like, I can't believe you're so greedy. Like, all right, cool, yeah, we got the budget. Sounds and good. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, that no card just, like... It's that kind of thing. And so I write reminders to myself because I need reminders of the truth. Yeah. Like, it's really easy to forget what's true. So good. So the book is Built Through Courage. Yep. And I'm curious. October 26th. Hello, October yes. 26th. Yes. You are absolutely correct. Uh, what is, like, what is your relationship with courage? Or what, what is, what is, what's like the ingredient of courage from your perspective? Uh, mine is uh, courage is a choice, not a feeling. Like, it's a choice. It's a choice. And there's some days I have to choose it 100 times. Um, and there's some days I have to choose it 10 times. But, I, you know, you can't wait um, to be brave. You can't wait to be courageous. 
Um, and, and the other thing is, I don't like, and hopefully your book doesn't say this exact thing, because then <laughs> it's an awkward way to end the interview. I don't like when people say you can be fearless, 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 because I think at every new level, there's a new level of courage needed. Totally. So when I spoke to 10 people for the first time, that was hard, and I had to work through that. And then I spoke to 100, and I had 100-person fear. Then I worked through that 1,000-person fear. And so I think at each new level, there's new courage that is required. So yeah. you're not done with courage. You didn't write the book and go, I, I'm done with courage. You're saying, okay, I'm doing this thing in the fall. I'm going to do this bodybuilding thing. I'm going to do this other thing. I'm going to keep writing books. I'm going to keep you know, co-parenting and whatever the next challenge that brings. Um, and I'm going to need new courage. So yeah. I would say it's a choice, and it's a choice you have to keep making. Love that. I was actually, Heidi and I, when you're dating someone from 972 miles away, you have yeah. to play card games to continue to get to know each sure. other. It's just like a thing. virtually? Like virtually. Like Skipbo? What are like, you guys playing? It's not so much Skipbo as it is like uh, a questions kind of oh, game. Oh, okay, there. okay. I but I love like, the idea of Skipbo. Yeah. I mean, like, I, like maybe... I didn't think you guys were playing Uno. No. Like, I just didn't know. Like, you're like, hey, draw two. And she's like, oh, this guy with his draw two. You know, you pick a you pick a card. Yeah. It has a very simple, like, one a of A prompt. Them. Like, children are. And then you, then you like, you know, mine were legacy. And I yeah. didn't say pain in the ass. I said legacy, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but one of them the other day was to describe yourself in three words. And the temptation is like, okay, I'm handsome, I'm yeah. tall, right? And my three words were work in progress. Yeah. And I come back to, and it's very much intertwined in the book, so good news, I'm not saying, like, get courageous, yeah. you become fearless, but it's, I know that I will have to cultivate mm. courage every day for the rest of time because yeah. of a decision I'm making to be a work in progress in a way that now is a badge of honor. I mean, like yeah. I used to see work in progress as an indictment on an absence of progress. Uh, yeah. or they hadn't gotten to perfection. I hadn't gotten there yet. Yeah. And as soon as I get to, the, to having everything that I think I need mm -hmm. or want, then I'll be loved and enough and everything else. No, I'm, I'm gonna die on a journey to a destination that doesn't mm -hmm. even exist. It's just yeah. work in progress every day. I love that, work yeah. in progress, that's great. All right, last question. If you could, uh, we're gonna turn this into another episode of the podcast too, yeah, so sure. why wouldn't we? Yeah. Uh, if you could leave Listeners today with a single piece of advice, could be actionable, could be a thought, could be something you want them to gnaw yeah. on. What is the single thing that you would leave with people today? The last idea I wrote down in my book, um, I think it was idea 528, because I number them, so then I know how many ideas I had in a month, um, and then I know which ones I've used. Last idea I wrote down is, um, if it's broken, can we fix it? And the reality is, if other than death, you can. So I think sometimes when something's broken, you think it's broken, so we're doomed, it's scary, there's no courage. And so I, like, I ran into a situation today where I was like, oh no, this thing blew up, it fell apart. And I thought, wait a second, but if it's broken, can we fix it? And the answer was yes. So I would say 99% of the time when you ask that question, you're gonna realize the answer is yes, and then you're gonna get to do something about that. I like to ask people um, Trojan horse questions that look simple on the outside but have hope on the inside. And so that's what I think of. Let's go. Yeah. Thanks, brother. Sure. Appreciate you.